Hey everyone, what's going on? My name is Stephanie Graham. I'm an artist and filmmaker, and I'm also an extremely curious person. Some will go as far as to say that I am nosy as the, the nerve. <laughs> I started this podcast because I wanted to interview people. I'm not just talking to anyone either. I'm talking to people who are in the thick of what they do. I want to know how they live their life and how they get things done so that I could apply some of their savvy to my own life. I'm sharing this with you so that you too can do the same. We can do it together. We all gotta start somewhere, and if you're not looking for practical info, stick around anyway, because my guests are fascinating, and it's my goal to get to the bottom of their shh. I mean, aren't we all just a little bit curious of what it's like to live someone else's life? And if we do it the same? There are also times when I will feel called to catch up with you one-on-one and let you know about what's going on with me, either in life or with my art practice. You didn't think I'd get the dirt on all these cool people and not let you know what's going on with me, did you? I mean, I'm a Libra. We believe in balance. Listen, I am a big believer that even though we are all different, we can still find ways to relate to each other. It's time to get down to business, so welcome to the Nosy AF Podcast. Hello, my nosy friends. Welcome back to the show. And guess what? It's the 30th episode of Nosy AF. Isn't that a blessing? I know, I know. I'm super happy. It's a milestone, right? A small milestone, but a milestone nonetheless. And I think it calls for a bit of celebration. So immediately following the recording of this episode, I'm going to get up and head over to Cold Stone Creamery. Have you ever had Cold Stone? They have this cake batter ice cream that is the bomb and I put my little mix-ins in there and I'm gonna get the big size and I'm gonna eat it and then I'm gonna go to my nail place and I'm gonna get designs on all my nails while I'm eating my ice cream in there okay because it is a great day I am so happy anyway so listen happy 30th episode my sweet little podcast and happy 30th to you the listener and I'm just so thankful and enjoy today So listen, today's conversation is with the artist, author, and educator, Ellen Mueller. Ellen is based out of Minneapolis, and her creative work explores issues related to the environment and capitalism as it affects everyday life. And if we could talk about the environment for a quick second, I was kicking in with this dude, right? And we were having a nice time, okay? And it was coming to the close of the date, and he's driving down the street, you know, we're just laughing and joking, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, y'all, he throws his cup out the window. Just, yeah, just threw the cup out the window. I could not believe it. It was as if time had stopped. And I was just like, (laughs) I couldn't believe he would do something like this. Somebody so great, so smart, so intelligent, just just littering. Let me tell you, I sort of went a little crazy and I was like, yo, what is wrong with you? Littering? Who does that? Why did you do that? You could have been like, dang, I need to throw this cup out, pulled over and asked me to throw it out into the garbage can. Why just throw it on the street? I cannot believe it. And can y'all imagine if somebody saw me like, yo, I saw Steph, man, she was with some dude and the dude going to throw a cup out the window like, uh uh-uh. Like, baby boy, you can't take care of me if you can't take care of the environment. Okay, relationship over. Not gonna lie. 
the relationship did start to dwindle after that. But you know what? You can't be with somebody who's going to treat Mother Earth like that. Don't litter. So I understand why Ellen's pursuing these topics because people are crazy out in these streets. Anyway, and thank you for supporting me through that little outburst. I appreciate the support. So listen, Ellen wrote this book titled Social Practice. And I've been researching social practice and was super happy to find her book because it has been such a resource. Ellen is going to talk to us all about social practice art. I definitely want to lean into doing more social practice art. And so I'm so thankful that Ellen decided to talk to us today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. And thank you again for being here. And gentle reminder, don't litter and don't let other people litter. I know you don't litter. But, you know, we got to watch out for people around us. Anyway, happy 30th episode. Ellen, thanks again for doing this. I'm really excited to talk to you about social practice because I moved to a different, like a new neighborhood because I wanted to be closer to a community I'm really fond of to do more social practice. So... Why don't you, do you mind telling my audience about yourself? Yes. So thanks first, Stephanie, for having me. This is such a fun program and I'm really honored to be included. And a little bit about myself. I'm an interdisciplinary artist, so I do a lot of work with social practice as well as more traditional practices as well, like drawing and video. Back in the day, I did even some more performance art and things like that. So I dabble in a lot of different areas. And I'd say the overarching conceptual umbrella of my work is that I'm really interested in how capitalism affects our everyday life, like in the little ways, the way that that we eat, we work, we play, all of that really interests me. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You know, I feel like the more I talk to artists, the more I find that they're into so many different things. Which is so wild to me because when you take marketing classes or sometimes in school, they always want you to focus. And I don't understand that. And I'm like, you know, like even just, for example, like learning Instagram, like, okay, you could put your paintings. And it's like, well, I don't paint. I do video. I do photography. I do performance. So how is this all supposed to fit in Instagram? And it's like, I can see how it's easier sometimes. But anyway, I just find that there's so many artists that do so many things. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned that, too, because I have heard that same messaging ever since I started school. Like, you need to focus. You need to focus. And it's just not really in my DNA to focus. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm all in place and I like it. And and I find, too, that there are so many other people in that same way of working and I celebrate it. So, yeah, it seems like and I hate when they're like, oh, you need to focus. It's like I am focused. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Absolutely. I say that I'm I'm conceptually focused, like technically everything ties together, but I'm you're right. I'm not just making drawings or I'm not just doing social practice pro- projects. I'm also really interested in videos and I'm interested in work outside of galleries as well as work inside. And I think that's okay. I think that's totally okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's totally okay. You're right. So you have this book called Some Social Practice, which is what introduced me to your work because I was looking for more resources around social practice. And in Chicago, there are a lot of artists that do social practice work. But I feel like the term social practice feels so 
open-ended or what you make of it. Like, it's like an artist with a business. And they're like, this is for the community. Like, And it's like, ma'am, this is a grocery store. And you're like, it's just the yeah. art project. And it's like, but there's 10 registers in here. <laughs> and so I'm just curious if you can, like, help me define... What social practice is or what you think it is. That is such a good question. And actually in in the the Some Social Practice book, I have one little section just about the widely varying definitions of this term because it is all over the place. Like there are so many different ways that people define it. But for myself, I look at it as work that's participatory and that is in conversation with a community or an institution. And that is a really simplified definition and one that works for the type of work I do. But truly, the work has been around for decades and it's been taken on by so many different people and each one comes at it with their own definition of what this could be. And there's also other names for it too. There's community-based practices and dialogical practices. Mm, <laughs> you know, I like, like that. That sounds nice. <laughs> is that a good one? That yeah. one's like all about talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's so widely varying. The way that I, I frame it for other people too is to think about it as a series of spectrums. Like some of them are really focused on the artist who makes it and then others are really focused on the community that it serves. And then there's a whole range in between. And then there's some that are really art-based and it's all about whatever the resulting product is. And others are completely ephemeral and nothing exists. It was just about the conversations that happened. And so those are just a couple of the spectrums that exist within social practice. But, oh, there's so many. And in fact, I've got like a chart in there. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I have to see. Different spectrums. Yeah. I'll have to see about this chart. Yeah, I'm so happy to have this book because when it's interesting, like how long do you think this idea of social practice has been around? Like are there social practice founding fathers or founding mothers or anything like that? I would say... As in terms of tying it to the art world, you could actually trace it all the way back to some of the first forms of performance art around the time of Dada, like even the 1920s and things like that. But others who they locate their definition much more closely in ideas of mutual aid and community support, that goes back millennia, you know? Like, yeah, that yeah that's to- true. So really, it depends on where you're coming from and, and what does your definition center on? Because... It could be different for everybody. Yeah, because it almost makes me think like even people who might not identify as an artist or the like, or in the traditional way, like, oh, I, you know, I'm not creative in that way. Like, I don't, you can't take pictures. Or I can't do performance, but they will host certain like community meals or something like that. And it's like, that's art. Like, so it makes it seem like this is another way for like the non-artist to be an artist. I just thought of that as you were talking. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, is it, is social practice like based off like in like Christianity anyway, do you know? And maybe this is only my thing because I'm listening to, I was listening to this um podcast of like post-Christian America and these, these, the, the hosts were talking about how they would keep having people over for dinner just to get to know each other. Cause a lot of people didn't. And it started, and there was one man who 
brought his like fire pit to the front of his house and then people will walk past like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, just hanging out. Do you want to hang out with me? And then it started with like three people. Then it was like 15 people. And now there's like throughout the community, different people. Like if it's not a fire pit, they're just sitting on the porch or, you know, like, and they have this like, you know, start to bring this community thing around. And what I do like about these social practice projects that I see that are community bases that it's almost waiting for somebody to offer something like people are down to participate, but they don't necessarily want to start it or they're too shy to start it or they're afraid to start it. Like this man was saying that people are making fun of him because he was like the Christian pastor that moved in. And I guess people across the street, like were atheists and they were shocked. And he's like, Oh, do you want to guys want to come up for dinner? And like, they didn't even, he wasn't like trying to like push God on them or anything. He just wanted to like meet them. And so, yeah, it made me just wonder like, Oh, is this like rooted in, the word of God. I think if I were to like root social practice in the word of God, I'd have a whole bunch of people after me. <laughs> yeah, right. They're probably going to yell at me already. But you bring up a really good point And one that one of the foundational texts that I think a lot of social practice people look at is a book by Ted Purvis called What We Want is Free. And he talks about the concept of radical hospitality. And the idea of giving and exchange and what that has meant historically. And he traces it way back, which, to be fair, like there are elements of Christianity that are about radical giving and radical hospitality. So I can see where you see the connection there. But yeah, that's another really good book that that dives into some of the core concepts of social practice and exchange and exchange economies and, and things that don't involve money, but giving and ex- and receiving. Okay. So can you tell me, maybe tell me about one of your favorite social practice projects? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Let me think. I would say I really liked John Rubin and Don, I'm going to butcher her last name, Penicoking, or I can't remember how you say her last okay. name. I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to mess up the name because I think it's called It's not enemy kitchen, it's conflict kitchen, conflict kitchen. And it was out of Pittsburgh and it is this amazing project. I don't know that it's still going. I think it did eventually end, but they highlight conflicts that the U.S. is engaged with overseas. And then they make the food from that country and talk to people about the conflict and um, ways to end the violence and things like that. Yeah. And it was really interesting to, I I visited it once and, and they were making food from the Haudenosaunee nation and how we were and are still engaged in violence against Native Americans. And that eating that food and talking about the that particular conflict was just a really amazing social practice project to take part in as a participant. It was just really cool to see how that could transform how we think. Yeah, that seemed, that is really cool because I also think, I like, I like the community aspect of it because I feel like there's only maybe going to be like a certain type of person that will go to an art gallery or that will go to like theater or any type of particular space. Or even sometimes if you have over for dinner, it might be like a certain group of people. And this can be like my uncle can walk up on the con- on Conflict Kitchen, like just hungry. Or you just even like seeing like, what are these people doing over here? And um, see that. So that is really, I-, I think I've heard of that. That was fairly recent, right? Yeah, it w- it went for a couple years and then I can't remember when it ended, but you're right. I think it ended fairly recently. Okay. No, that's cool. And it's cool to know like that things can have an end because it seems like especially in like a community that might 
not have like a lot that it seems like you should make it go forever. Oh my gosh. That's such a burden on everyone. Like to have a clean end to it can be such a relief for, cause it takes a lot of labor to do a lot of these projects and it's yeah, especially when they strike a chord and they're really helpful projects, it can be tough to, to declare that. Okay. And we've concluded like, that's hard to take that away. Yeah. Yeah. So like in today's world, like with everything, everybody's like yelling about capitalism, you know, right now, I think people are starting to understand where did you get into that, that, where did that come from for you? Mm, Since you've been, since you've been yelling about it before (laughs) others have, before people became like woke about it, (laughs) it's like, told you so. (laughs) I, I think for me, it came about like when I first started interacting with higher education and I realized like how incredibly costly it is to keep studying. And I'm a super nerd. I love learning. And it made me mad. <laughs> I was angry that it was like, why does this cost so much? This is so frustrating. And and then when I dug a little bit deeper, because when you're young, like fresh out of high school and you realize like, gosh, this really sucks. Like it takes some time to dig into the the topic and figure out like what's causing this. So I'd say like, Later in college, like undergrad, I started to to get a, a little bit more into like, oh, it's systemic. Like this is because people have set up systems to make it this way. And from there on, I, I just kept sort of picking at it and looking at it from different directions. Like, okay, I started with school, but then I started to look at like how we work and then how we eat and how do we move around in the world, like transportation and the harm that we do to the environment. So it started back then, like in the early aughts for me when I was still, which I've just like aged myself. But yeah, it, it was really when I started interacting with higher education that I started to ask a lot of these questions. Why are people so greedy? <laughs> I don't really, I really don't understand it. It's just like, even just like in movies, like as I was saying with the strike, it's just like, there's so much money there. And when people are just asking for these what seem like basic needs and people are like, no, I'm like, that's just not nice. (laughs) Not at all. Like, why do you got to be so mean? (laughs) I know. It's so frustrating to witness something that doesn't make any sense. Like, it cannot be affect change on that. Yeah. And it's just like this capitalism stuff. I'm like, and how come people are allowed to get away with this for so long? I don't understand. Yeah, I I think a lot of it has to do with like they built the system just to do that. And it's working as designed. (laughs) Yeah, I hate it. I do too. So like, so you spoke about Conflict Kitchen. What about in your own art practice or some projects that you favor? Oh my gosh. I, one of my favorites is, is a project from several years ago, it was in 2015, it was called Vanilla Utopia. And I asked people to, I made these little writing pads where they could write down what their vision of a vanilla utopia is. Like, what are the basics that you need to, to, what's your utopia? And then I used a manual credit card punching machine and I, I punched their utopias onto these blank white credit cards and put those on display. And then took pictures of all of them, published them as a book so people could flip through it. And I, I really like that project because it was so accessible to so many different people and everybody had something to say. Yeah. What were some people's really utopias? 
Can oh my gosh, really simple, like and of the moment. I think at that moment, the the border wall with Mexico was a really hot topic and somebody simply put fewer walls as their utopia. And then other people were really lengthy and they described like more public transportation, family leave, like they, like they just made a laundry list of all these different things that would make life better. And then other ones were really personal and simple, like I want more naps and time with my cat. Oh my so gosh. It, it was all over the board, such a range. And was you, t- were you typing it? Was that like a performative thing that people could see you typing it? And yep. Oh, yeah, neat. I, I picked a costume that I felt was like sort of, of on theme. It was all white. It was sort of a corporate like suit kind of thing. And that, that when you walked into the space, you knew immediately like that who's, who is that person? What are they doing? And so they would come and they would get directions from me. And then once they were ready, I would stand there and performatively punch their card. Oh, wow. That's cool. Do you ever feel like with performance work, do you ever get, sometimes when I do performance type stuff, I get sort of embarrassed, you know, like when you talk about it or like if I do film work and I need them to like film on me, I'm like, oh, is there enough light? And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like such a jerk asking (laughs) this, you know, like, oh yeah, I have to organize like my makeup or, you know, like for like character work, it's just, ugh, I just get so embarrassed. Yeah. And it's funny how it's changed over time. Like when I was younger, I loved it. I was just like, this is what I was, you know, born to do. I love performing. I love interacting with people. And as I get older, I grow more shy. And I also like tend to try to step out of the limelight. Like I try to like make the work be self-sustaining or have other people do it. And then I'm more like a director almost. Um, I don't know what that's about, but (laughs) I've noticed it as I get older. Yeah, I don't know what it's about for me either. I have to think about it as well, because I think, yeah, maybe as I get older, I feel more shy about it as well. Like I did this one art project where I used an older art project that has me like doing all these characters. And I'm like, I mean, I like the work, but it's weird. Like, I don't want to be there while you see it. Like. Like watch it when I leave. So I can't even imagine like you in front of people because usually I'll do stuff on video. So I don't necessarily have to be in front of people, a live audience at the time. But um, yeah, it still seems a lot. So I just had to ask that because I haven't had a fellow performance artist on the podcast before. So (laughs) yes, absolutely. Yeah. Are you an enamel pin collector? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but I have my own pin company called Graham Cracker Pins. It's a tiny shop and we make limited edition pins and I got quite a few styles. I have one around the theme of Carrie James Marshall called King Carrie. Another fun one I have is I Need a Baker, which is Anita Baker with the baker's hat. I have a pin dedicated to the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. There's a couple of different styles and I also work with a lot of independent companies and artists help them create their own pins for whatever they want. I started Graham Cracker Pins because I was inspired by this one artist making them and I'm like, you know what, this is a pretty cool way to make my art available at a very low price and still make fun art at a limited edition because you know the limited edition is where it's at. Anyway, I would love for you to check them out. You can go to grahamcrackerpin.co and check them out. And then if you are in Chicago and you check out the Museum of Contemporary Art, I have some pins in there as well. 
just want to, you know, plug my stuff. <laughs> Thanks for listening. How does, so I'm just like curious, like, cause you have so many ideas. How do you pick, how do you start when you have so many like ideas in the world? And especially even maybe around social practice, I think cause it's just so vague. Cause you're like, yeah, it could be just having conversations or it could really be. And I keep coming back to this idea of a grocery store cause I wanted to start a grocery store in my area. And I'm like, oh no, it would totally be at our project, you know, because I'm like, I don't know. It just seemed like, like it almost seems like artists with social practice, like it's just undercover businesses sometimes. Absolutely. I think the line gets so blurry in some of the cases where it's really unclear. What is this? Is this, is this an enterprise or is this a project? And some of them sit uncomfortably. Like some of the projects just sit in the middle and some people interpret it as a business and other people interpret it as an artistic project. But yeah, in terms of, of choosing when there's so many good ideas out there and so many juicy concepts to engage with, I go day by day. And if I have time to make art, which is hard, I have a full-time job and I try to fit it in on evenings and weekends and things like that, I go with whatever has been most pressing to me. And then I work on that until the project is complete. And I might be at a totally different point in my life at, when it's done. And so at that point, it might be time for me to jump into a very different idea just because of what's happening around me. So I'm very affected by where I'm living, who I'm living with and among. And that definitely affects my choices and what I bother to make. Like, what do I invest my time in? Because I only have like a few hours. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Have you lived a lot of places? Yes. Yeah. So I did. I grew up in um, Fargo, North Dakota. And then I lived in Minnesota for a while. I did my undergrad. And then I lived in Minneapolis for a few years. And then I sort of hit a ceiling where I wasn't able to progress. Like I was showing at a couple galleries and I was um, working in theater at that time too. And I got advice (laughs) and I was was like, you're not going to, there's nowhere else for you to rise to. Like you've hit the ceiling of of theater in Minneapolis. And I decided I was going to go to grad school. So I was like, it's cold up here. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to go to grad school at the beach. (laughs) And so I went to grad school in Florida. (laughs) And um, that was a fun three years down there. Um, And then I went on basically like 10 years of teaching. I lived in Colorado for a year. I lived in West Virginia for five years. And then I did a year in Massachusetts. And then I came back to Minneapolis because I have some family in this area. So yeah, I've been all over the place. How do you think that's like informed your art practice? Oh my gosh, it's foundational to it. Like every single place I've landed, I feel like my art has completely transformed in each place. Like when I landed in um, Colorado, there was a huge fracking industry explosion happening there. And all of my art switched to that. Like I, I started filming performances in the desert. I was talking about fracking and all of that. And then my job ended and, and I had to go to West Virginia and I lived there for five years and that was radically different. I had never lived in such a small town and such a rural place and such a conservative place. It was really 
hard. It, it was like, and I met amazing people there, like incredible artists, people that I'm, I'm still in touch with to this day and I value them so much. But in the day to day, it was rough. Like it's hard to be in a place where it doesn't feel like people want you there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely so sucks. When, it, when I had an opportunity to move on, that's where I, I left that place. But I will say while I was there in West Virginia, I developed a lot of different social practice projects because I didn't know what to do with this situation where it felt like not a lot of the people wanted me there. So I put myself out in the town and, and like did various interactive projects. I did mural projects. I did things where I was interacting with them on social media, just trying to get a sense of the place. And why is it like this? Why are people angry? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Like, what's, what's your problem? <laughs> and and it was good. Like, by the time I hit that fifth year, all these relationships had started developing, which was, it was bittersweet to leave because I had finally started to connect with with a lot of these people who were maybe a little bit standoffish at first. But then by the time, after five years of investment, and that's literally how long it took. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you start to forge friendships with people who you you never would have guessed would have had something in common to talk about with you and that 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 was pretty cool even though it was really hard it was something i really value and i i don't know that i would trade it so yeah yeah that's awesome that you were able to have those experiences so in your books some social pre- can you tell us like how you arrived at this and it's so yeah. cool like i think i read somewhere there's like a it's like a bunch of zines like yeah, a bunch of zines inside. So can you talk about how and for for those listening, it is it's like all this different like these fonts and it's like very well designed and it's black and white and it looks really cool. Um, yeah, it's like each page is like a graphic art. <laughs> it's cool. I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's exactly what I was intending with the book was to have it be well-designed and a collection of zines. And it's weird because it, it comes right up in that, in my story of like, I was leaving West Virginia. I went out to Massachusetts for a job where I was going to be introducing social practice to this art department. And when I got there, people were like, I don't know about this. <laughs> they were very skeptical. And I wanted to find a really um, approachable way to explain to them that a lot of them were already doing social practice and they didn't even realize it and they were doing it really well. So there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. So that's where like the zine about what are the definitions of social practice? That's where that one came from. That was the first one I made. And then I also did the one about what are some of the spectrums within social practice, just to show them too that like when they were working with communities to do graphic design work for them, like in some ways that could be interpreted as social practice or when they were doing a giant kiln firing of ceramics with a big group of people like that collective action is for many people social practice as well. You look at like artists like Theaster Gates and other really amazing who are doing the work out there, they do this all the time. They're working on a body of ceramic work for a specific community. So that's what each one of those zines was meant to explain in a really concise way, like a really simple way that anybody could understand that this is one element of social practice. So, And then when you were making these zines, were you giving them to this, like at first to the students? That's right. 
And each one is just not in the book, but like when they first existed, they were each one was a piece of paper Got folded it. in four. Okay. And so it was really cheap to make them. Like I just ran like 20 copies of this one and 20 copies of that one and folded them up and just set them around the building. And oh. people would pick them up and they would be like, what's this? And that way I could talk to people about it and they had a little bit of information. And they a lot. the lovely part of it was they would look at it and they'd be like, oh, I know what this is. Like they, they were able to sort of feel really empowered by it. It's funny because not that I keep trying to tie social practice to religion, but it makes me think of like how like certain religions, they'll have their their like oh four pages gosh. and they'll set them around. <laughs> it's like going to the parking lot. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like stand at the L train and like just pass them out. Oh, my gosh. That's what made me You're think totally of. right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe social practice oh is God. like its own religion in a way. No, I don't want to say that, but. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. That's yeah, it's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, zines are zines are super cool too. Cause I was wondering if they if these zines still existed somewhere on their own. Yep. I've got it. I they they exist in a couple different forms. So I I print some of them even to this day and I sell them through the Minnesota Center for Book Arts. And and then also for people who aren't in Minneapolis, I sell them on my website and I sell them just as the PDF so that if you download the PDF, you could print as many as you wanted, really. And that way it can still travel out into the world. Because to me, it, like, I don't care if I don't make very much money off of it. I just think it's really helpful to people to know the basics of like, what is social practice? What can it be? How might you do it? How could you do it well or do it better? Like those kinds of tips are really useful. Yeah, I'm actually like really sort of excited about thinking more social practice for people who I have a friend in particular who I was just talking to her about how she used to be interested in filmmaking, but now she feels like she's not so much anymore, but she still has the creative part there, but she's also very much into like alcohol, but just like, she just knows like the history of it. She's like, oh, this one was developed in this point and this person had, like, she just knows about it so well. And then she can make these drinks and all the stuff. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, she could totally have like a social practice way. Like maybe I can collaborate with her. Like we should invite people over like for these drinks and have a discussion of something, you know, or like something like that. And it's like, it's so cool to that. I think for this, and I guess any art, it could be as little or as big as you make it. But this seems like something that's like an easy access part where you can actually still make a difference and you can call yourself a creative if you wanted to. I don't want to like diminish anybody out there who's like, man, what are you talking about? I'm a big deal social practice person. But that's just like there's space for everybody, I guess. Absolutely. And I, I love that you brought that up too, because I think it's so important and meaningful to, to also showcase because we have the superstars like the Astrogates or um, John Rubin and all these people. But I think some of the most wonderful and impactful projects are the little ones, like the ones where it's about having a discussion with a small group of people and there's something to tie it all together, like a cocktail or, you know, like something where like people agree together that we're going to come and talk about something that that matters to us while we maybe it's while we do something else. There's a lot of ones that are like people talking over quilting or people talking while they're making pottery or people talking over food, just like have a meal together, you know? So. Yeah. That's my personal social practice project. I want to do is have these like random dinners because I don't cook and I'm trying to teach myself cooking. And one of my research for just the project I was thinking of like, like looking up like hyper femininity and just like I've been watching like these feminism videos and like sort of women that are uh 
talking about like the domestic arts, like, hey, get a feminine hobby, like flower arranging. And, you know, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting. And these, these women are serious. They're this. They are dead serious about this. And I'm like, wow, I just didn't even know this was a thing. And so I was starting to think about like I had a mentor. It's like, you need a hobby. And I'm like, oh, let me find a feminine hobby, you know, like a feminine hobby, quote in air quotes, table setting, like and like learn that. But it's like people that take that seriously, their tables are always the bomb. So I'm like, maybe I can like but anyway. But yeah, so I was like thinking about these dinners as like a project. And um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's sort of like easy access. And it's like I learn to cook and it could be great. It sounds you should definitely do that. Yeah. That sounds like an awesome dinner. <laughs> yeah. It makes, oh my gosh, is Martha Stewart a social practice? <laughs> I think maybe on a very meta level. Yeah. Maybe she is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It. So, okay. So what do you want to do next? So like now you have your book out here, you know, you've got everybody with their beginner guide for social practice. What do you want to do next? Like with this book, with your art practice, because you put it out, right? Like, why did you decide to put this together? So because you were using it as an educational tool, but why did you decide to put the book together? I put the book together because I got so many questions about it. Like people had seen the zines online and they were just like, Ellen, can you send me some of these? And I thought I, I can send them, but also I can do better. Like I can flesh out the zines just a little bit more, which is basically what it is. The The book is all, I want to say there's 16 zines or something like that. And each one, I just added a little bit more content than I was able to fit on the original photocopy. And then put that all together. I put together the whole timeline and added a bunch more of my favorite projects because the second half of the book is basically like a collection of social practice from 1900 to present. And so that's why I did it was because I saw a need and, and people kept asking. So I was like, what the heck? I'm going to try this. I had published other books with like actual publishers and stuff. And I knew that's the hassle. Like, like, I don't like doing that. Like, sometimes I have to for my job as an educator, you have to like prove yourself and be published by actual publishers. But for this one, I was just like, I'm going to put it out there. And truthfully, this was the most successful of the three books that I published. This one was far and away like the most popular. Wow. And how did you enjoy the like just the journey of being a self-published author? Because I know that's something that so many people want to do. So many people have book ideas. And when they decide they're going to like publish this book themselves, it's like such a big undertaking. And there's tons of courses and all this stuff and people can get overwhelmed. So do you mind? I know I don't want to like keep you, but if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about that experience. Oh, yeah. No, it was really interesting to me because I've I've been interested in how people share things with Creative Commons licenses and things like that online. And so I knew a little bit about the licensing. And luckily, also, I have an amazing partner. My husband is a graphic designer, and he was able to compile all of this together for me. And I just bought an ISBN online. And then... Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you can just do that. And then I assigned it to the book. And when you do that, you have to like enter some information, but it essentially populates the the book across the internet. Oh yeah, look um, at the barcode. Yeah, it's like doot, through the cash register at my grocery store. Doot. <laughs> they would know. Like yeah. it, it would pop up for them. Yeah. So it was really easy and I I recommend it to anybody. It was a positive experience from my point of view. 
Wow. And then you just have like an account and after it goes, like people just buy and it just ships out automatically and you yep. get your money and, and I, go. I'm not being paid by Ingram Spark, but they're my company. Like that's the one that I use. And it's so user friendly. Like I don't do anything. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Somebody orders it. I just like hit yes. And then it, it ships it. They they take care of everything. Yeah. And shout out to the graphic designer husband coming through with the design. That's amazing. I will tell them that you enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're like dating, you're like, I don't want to date another artist. But I mean, if they're going to make something like this, it's, you know, you right? might want to give them another look. <laughs> I tease them about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it is a, an extra benefit. Yeah. If I was married to a corporate attorney, you can't do this. I want to put a book together. I have to find somebody else to put it together. So... <laughs> that's awesome I love it I really appreciate your time such a great conversation and I had so much fun talking about the book and, and art in general so thanks for asking me yeah hey so wait where can people uh, find this book and find you if you go to my website ellenmuller.com you can get the book right off my website and you can learn more about all of my art okay cool yeah and then even like just looking again at the features of the back a list of exercises uh, syllabus so this is for everybody it's for teachers it's for individuals yep everyone it's, it's really user-friendly and it's designed that way it's meant to be helpful to anybody who's interested in social practice you don't have to be a trained artist but if you are a, an artist a student a teacher there's a lot of tools in there as yeah. well that might be useful so okay cool thanks for putting the book together yeah you bet Thank you so much for tuning into the Nosy AF podcast with me, your host, your friend, Stephanie Graham. I'm so glad that you made it to the end of this conversation. Please kindly let me know what you thought by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now. You can also connect with me at nosyaf.com via the Say Hello button. And if you're curious about what's going on in my art and film life, please visit my website at missgram.com. Oh, and also, if there is someone that you're nosy about and you want me to have them on the show, please send suggestions via the saying hello button and I will check them out. Until next time, thank you so much for being you and see you soon. Peace.